theme word for the scriptures today is passion. So as you think about that word, passion, what comes to mind? And then you can talk about that at lunch. We're going to talk about some other things. <coughs> but yesterday, as you said, we did have a memorial service for Lori Liston. And some of you know our gregarious Lori um, and have connected with her and especially in kids ministry. Um, but, well, one, it was actually very profound to be in a memorial service yesterday together and a great reminder of the importance of being together for moments like that. It was special. Somebody actually came up to me, and this is what made me think of it, and said, you know, I didn't want to come today, but I am so glad I did. And it just resonated with the importance of these gatherings and being together and doing life things together. Um, so at a memorial service, you usually reflect on your own life and your own purpose in life and meaning in life and your own passions. And it was very evident with Lori yesterday that one of Lori's passions was kids. I mean, she invested in kids and cared for them and loved them and made a huge impact in kids' lives. And um, I love the idea of passion as something um, like Eugene Peterson says, that's a, a wind in your sails, you know, something that pushes you and moves you. And it was clear for, for Lori that her passion for kids is that she just showed up for them in their lives. She was a PE teacher and did a lot of bunch of kids things, and she just was there for them. And it was impressive to see that impact in her life yesterday. Well, the, inf the Urban Dictionary defines passion in this way. Passion is when you put more energy into something than is required to do it. It is more than just enthusiasm and excitement. Passion is ambition that is materialized into action, to put as much heart, mind, body, and soul into something as is possible. So passion is this, this emotion. It comes from within us, right? It's an emotion that drives us, it moves us. Um, and I love that image, again, of the wind in a sail pushing us. And perhaps you can think of your own passions in life where you were just moved to do extraordinary things just because that passion within you. And now, we all know that enthusiasm and excitement that materializes itself into action is good and it can be bad. You know, if you think about passion on a spectrum of, on one end, you have passions that are good and helpful and make our world better. And then maybe in the middle, you have some neutral passions that, yeah, they're good and they're fine. But then over on the other side, you might have some passions that they should stay inside and be worked out and not materialize into action. And so I've been thinking about an example of this evil end of passion and um, the only thing that I could come up with was that we watched the 101 Dalmatians about a week ago. And in that movie, Cruella DeVille, very suggestive name symbolically, Cruella DeVille had a passion to wear a coat, comfortable, warm, made out of Dalmatian puppy skins. And that passion belonged in the evil category, at least according to that movie. <laughs> Passions. 
sometimes they are good and beautiful, and sometimes they should not materialize into action. You know, in another movie back in 2004, Mel Gibson made the movie The Passion of the Christ, and at that time, some people asked, why is it called The Passion? And maybe you know. Maybe you know that this word passion has a much longer history in history than just our modern use of passion. So this word passion and applied to Jesus in his sufferings during Holy Week, crucifixions and beatings, it was, it was bad. That passion was the word in Latin, patior, and that verb simply means to suffer. So originally, passion meant to suffer, that you would suffer. And Jesus suffered, and that's why the majority of history, passion was about suffering. And now we've kind of translated over to this new place of passions are enthusiasms and excitements that are driving us. But Jesus' passion, his suffering, was not meaningless. Jesus had a purpose. He had a mission. Jesus had this end goal of reconnecting God and people and restoring what was broken. And his sufferings were something that were carrying that mission forward to accomplish it. And so for Jesus, the suffering was connected to a greater cause in his life. And so this next definition of passion applies to Jesus. A willingness to suffer for what you love. And I love that. A willingness to suffer for what you love. We can see how this definition of passion as suffering has morphed into something different. Into all kinds of passions. But for Jesus, suffering was for a purpose. To reconnect people and God. So our gospel reading today comes from John 12. And this is what John wrote. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus came right up to the edge of suffering, looked over, and said, My soul is troubled. I don't want this. This doesn't look good. But what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, this is the reason I came to this moment. 
You know, the author of the book of Hebrews said of Jesus that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And that's it right there, that endured. He suffered willingly for the joy set before him, which is you and I here today and just a couple thousand years of people reconnected with God. That joy. And the author of Hebrews goes on and encourages us and says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There it is again. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Keep going. The suffering, yes, it's uncomfortable and it, it isn't pleasant. But the joy set before you is good. Our psalm reading for today is Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is often read at the beginning of Lent because we are remembering that from dust we came and to dust we shall return. And during Lent, we are faced and are confronted with our sin. We are confronted with those passions that have materialized into actions that have not been in alignment with God. And at Easter, then, we receive and remember the great weight of forgiveness. So this psalm, Psalm 51, you may be familiar with it because in a very famous way, King David wrote this psalm. It was after King David had an affair with Bathsheba that he then wrote this. And right away you might think, what? We are reading a psalm written, got, written by a guy who had an affair? This is ridiculous. Wasn't he discredited? You know, wasn't he, like, written off for not being qualified anymore to write psalms? Well, it may be precisely because David fell so greatly that he could write this psalm. You know, David acted out of a passion of his heart to pursue a woman, to have an affair, and then... After that action materialized, the next passion was to cover it up. And after that failed, the next action that materialized was murder. That Bathsheba's husband was killed. That passion bubbled up and was not kept down. And about the only good thing that David does in this story is that when he is confronted with what he has done, and it's, it's now public that everyone knows. The best thing David does is he confesses. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. He confesses. And this, this psalm, this poem comes out of his confession. He has fallen greatly and is feeling broken and very humiliated in every corner of the world. And maybe he's even thinking that 3,000 years later, people will still be talking about his affair. Discouraged. But what he picks himself up with is some reminders and putting in into himself what God says. Here's how Psalm 51 begins. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions. 
Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I think the Psalms are something that can come in one year and write out the other. So I want to encourage us today to attempt to eat this Psalm, to take these words in, down into our body, into our soul, and let our stomach digest them, pull out the nutrients, use those nutrients to rebuild our bones and our muscles and our spiritual lives, to take it in. So first, we take in this first word, have mercy. David is broken, humiliated. All he has is his confession, and to cry out and ask God, have mercy. I need it. Have mercy according to your unfailing love and according to your great compassion. So he's taking in his need for mercy, but he's also taking in the truth about who God is. God is unfailing love. God is a God of great compassion. And he's eating that, letting that restore him and fill him back up. Because he, in this moment of just complete disgrace, could be filling himself up with a lot of other messages. But what does he fill himself up with and nourish himself with? God's mercy, God's unfailing love, God's great compassion. And then he goes on, says blot out my transgressions blot out i don't know if you guys have used blot out in the last week or two but blot out means to erase to erase and so when he's asking blot out my transgressions this is a transaction with god something that god does because this affair was etched in stone permanent we're still talking about it 3,000 years later. But with God, the request to erase it. And with God, somehow in that mystery of who God is, God can erase that and move forward to blot it out. And the next, wash away. Have mercy blot it out, wash away. The next language is this cleansing. I need this cleansing. God, this has happened, and I can't undo that. And now how do I even begin to move forward? Wash me. I don't want this to happen again. Get it out of me. You know, you can think about in this washing me, it's like this stain that has happened. I almost brought a cup of coffee and put it on my shirt, but I didn't. But you imagine a stain has happened. And most times, what do you do when you stain your shirt? You throw it away. It's done. It's worthless. What's the point? But David is calling on God's great compassion to wash away, to keep trying. Valuable. Not something that should be thrown away, but valuable. And so God keeps washing and washing and washing. And the stain, maybe it never fully goes away in this life, but somehow with God, 
there is a complete purity that God gives. So for David, he's taking in these words from God, have mercy, blot out, wash away. And those are for David, and we can take those same words and eat them for ourselves, to take them in and to be nourished by them. And in that, we are reminded that God cares. He loves. He has compassion. He doesn't want to throw you away, but he wants to continue with you. Also, that's for you, and it's for others. For David, we look at him not as a man who had an affair and murderer, but we look at him as a man after God's own heart. And how did that happen? And how do you give that to others that you know? As you experience people who make some pretty huge mistakes, they let their passions manifest into actions that should have never happened. How do you apply God's mercy to them? How do you say, yes, God can blot out, so will I? How do you say, God will wash you, and I will view you as washed? This is the gift we give to people, not to throw people away when a mistake has been made, but to restore them back in with the very grace that God gave David and everybody since this poem was written. Well, jumping down just to the next and last section we'll look at is in verse 10, where David writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David begins with this great word, create, which takes us right back to Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And David says, create once again in me. We're taken back to that initial creation where God created everything good. Hearts that were in line with God and passions that were materializing into actions that aligned with God's purposes until a break happened. And different choices are made where now the heart of humanity has been broken where we have both passions that align with God and passions that need to be set aside. David asked God to create, to start new in him. Put it in him. And I love once again, and this is where Eugene Peterson says, you know, put a fresh wind into my sails. This language of renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me a willing spirit to sustain me. And this is where David's asking God, put this heart in me that produces what you want it to produce. Help me to love what you love and then follow through, even if I have to suffer to make that happen. David is asking for God 
to put fresh wind into him and to drive him forward in God's direction. Well, I hope that we have begun eating these words of David this morning. To make these words a part of our own confession, God, I need your mercy. And part of our request, God, please blot out. God, please wash away. God, please create in me a new heart. And if you are willing, I want to invite you to stand, and I want to read these two parts of the scripture together as we come to the communion table. And if it would be meaningful to you to use your body in a position where you are in a place of receiving God's mercy, place yourself in that way. From Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.